everybody, Mike here. So glad you're with us. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for liking and subscribing and reviewing, supporting us in Patreon. I mean, thank you for all those things. The liking, the subscribing, the reviewing is so important um, because it keeps, uh, it gets us noticed by iTunes and it just allows people to find us more easily. So that's the, the big reason we're, we're always mentioning that. Um, we think that uh, at least the feedback we get is that this is helpful for, for lots of people. And so, you know, we kind of take that on faith and keep pushing forward with it, even though it flies in the face of some of what we've been talking about when it comes to narcissism. Uh, the last two podcasts, we've been talking about uh, what narcissism is and why there are parts in the American church uh, that make it very attractive for narcissists to kind of jump into leader roles uh, or roles of influence. And, um, and so I just want to kind of review a little bit and then answer a question we got last podcast about, okay, so how do you work on this? The, the first thing uh, I want to say is um, last podcast, we talked about something that Sky Jathani calls the evangelical industrial complex, which is the interplay between megachurch pastors with large platforms, publishing houses who want to sell books and who put on conferences to even to give a bigger platform to people that already have platforms. You have this whole idea of platform building now or platforming, um, uh, social media has made it very, very easy for those of us who have narcissistic tendencies uh, to meet those needs. Um, and it's made it very tempting for, for those who um, need to toil in obscurity to be content with that. You know, when, when Paul says, uh, you know, make it your ambition to live a quiet life, that is certainly not uh, what our world's ambition is. And in, in, in the church, in church settings, we're very rarely rewarding pastors of, of 100 person, 200 person churches who pastor their socks off. I mean, could pastor me into the ground when it just comes to knowing and loving and shepherding, um, showing mercy and wise discernment and knowing, I mean, absolutely. Uh, and, and yet there is this sense that those people never really get recognized, uh, although they may have the most to say. Um, so, so, you know, Sky, if you want to read, he's got some stuff on the, the rise of the celebrity pastor and how to dismantle that. So I'd encourage you to check that out on either YouTube or his website. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, resisting this view of leadership, this view of church, and, um, and, and I, and I, the reason I, I can talk, I, I can talk about this is that I have been guilty of not only the, the narcissism stuff, but the, of succumbing to the temptation of seeing your role as, um, pastor, uh, as an extension of your platform. And it's super easy to do that because of all the factors we talked about last podcast. And so, so I want to talk just organizationally first. If you are a part of a church, now again, we're, we, I, I need to be careful because I, I don't want to have us spending all of our time diagnosing pastors with narcissism um, because sometimes pastors do things uh, that we disagree with. And because we're consumers, you know, we want to blame them for those things and we leave and we write and we critique and we criticize. And, and there's way too much of that. But if you are sitting in a community 
where um you know some there are some warning signs uh no one's no one's allowed to criticize um the pastor the pastor insists on being called pastor so and so you can never call them by the first name um you hear more about this is from francis chan you hear more about the pastor than you do jesus um you hear a lot about the pastor's platform you hear a lot about how successful the church is um you, you may just want to, to start exercising discernment about whether or not you ought to be there in, in, in the following respect. Um, the last thing we want to do is to substitute so, uh, distant celebrities for spiritual fathers and mothers. And very easily what happens is that, you know, we kind of find our favorite Christian celebrity. We listen to their uh, sermons. Uh, we read their blog posts. We follow them on social media. Um, if, if, if they never show weakness, if they never confess to messy, um, I would just have red lights all over the place. Cause ultimately, um, it, it's way easier to handle the failure of a spiritual father or mother who hasn't been elevated to celebrity proportions in your, in your estimation and who you've realized is walking with a limp too. It's way easier to handle that than some of the people that just have massive platforms. And it's in the very nature of massive platforms to cause and or reveal flaws in character. And so um, one of the pieces of advice that Sky gives to people um, is, is to, to, to take some of the authority that you give to your celebrity pastor and give it back to local congregations, give it back to uh, those toiling in obscurity, give it back to spiritual fathers and mothers who don't care um, uh, how big their name is in the Christian market. And this, of course, is something that both Peter and Paul and, um, and of course, Jesus teach. The nature of Christian leadership is not lording it over, but it is ultimately, ultimately um, it's to serve and to serve under people and not lord it over. And so there, there's a sense in which if you are in a community um, and you're, you're wondering about this, that is the time to exercise really wise discernment. You certainly, it, it certainly is not good for the pastor, um, whoever he or she is, uh, but it's also not very good for you. Now, God, of course, can use narcissists. He uses me. Uh, he can use anybody. And, and of course, he can use churches that are wobbly because all, all of them ultimately are in one way or another. This isn't about that. This is about um, protecting, um, not only the, the person on the platform, it's about protecting you, your heart against cynicism. It is about protecting, uh, the witness of the Christian community to the wider world. I mean, it is, it, this is really, really a big deal. So we want to resist those understandings of leadership. We want to resist that understanding of church. And, um, you know, the way, the best way to do that isn't by writing angry and accusing articles against people um, and being, you know, armchair psychologists, it is rather uh, to first take a look at the log in our own eye and, and then to seek to address the speck in others privately if you have opportunity to do so. And if none of that works, um, then you simply find another community um, uh, to, to fellowship in. And that community does not need a rock star. Because uh, if, if, it's, if it's a rock star you want, you've got it all over. You can just podcast rock stars. You can just 
just Instagram rock stars. We need to be looking for spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual brothers and sisters, um, spiritual people that we're going to mentor as well. And you don't find those online, uh, at least not, not in the fully incarnate way I think that Jesus intends for his community. Now, for those who are struggling with, okay, I see... I see some narcissism in myself and we all do to some degree, but for those of us who are really like, okay, this is describing me more than just a little bit. Um, I, I want to talk about some things I've learned that um, the, the hard way uh, and some practices I've, I've tried to begin and practice imperfectly. So just a reminder, uh, the way I was kind of unpacking my issues um, and, and, you know, so I'm no psychologist and, and this is totally up for being proven wrong. Um, but, but it seems like the, the narcissistic personality develops, uh, when there is some sort of damage, some sort of wound to self image during the, the formative years of development. And that's kind of step one. There's, there's some sort of damage done. Step two is this creates a wound and the wound is shame filled and at its core is insecurity that somehow I'm not enough, that somehow I need to do something else or prove something or be something, do something. I mean, there's some, I'm not just by my, by myself, I'm not enough. Um, and, and so there's the feeling of being threatened by others, more talented. There's the jealousy of other success. But for me, ultimately that wound led to the desire to feel important and very, very significant. That's, that's number two. Number three is the creation of a false persona to, um, to meet that need to feel important and significant. And I remember, oh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever told anybody this. Um, at least not recently. I remember I was in fourth grade and I used to make stuff up. Uh, like these wild, crazy stories to tell my friends uh, of what I did over the weekend. Because whatever they did sounded so much better and so much cooler and so much more fun than um, what I did. And uh, and and so literally, I would I I remember specifically um, there was it was during the AFC NFC Pro Bowl. I was in fourth grade, I think, and I, I made up a lie that I was in the hospital all weekend. We were talking about what you did over the weekend. I was like, I was in the hospital all weekend with some, you know, incredibly serious condition that I just barely beat, but it was here on Monday. And um, we had a parent-teacher conference that week, and the teacher said to my parents, um, hey, we're so glad Mike is feeling better. And my parents were like, Oh, really? We, we didn't know anything was wrong. And so I get caught in this massive, massive exaggeration. And then, and then fortunately my memory shuts off there. I don't know. I don't know what happened after it, but, but that was all, that was the early stages of creating a false persona. You know, the exaggeration of, of things that, um, uh, things that God did. I remember I was, I was, was called Campus Crusade for Christ back in the day at Miami of Ohio. And, um, and I would, they had the storytelling time and I would just exaggerate um, <laughs> my adventures for Jesus, uh, you know, just to get attention. I mean, it was, abs it was absolutely crazy. And, and so the false persona 
even now I'm tempted, um, you know, to try to be the smartest person in the room or, or, um, look at, you know, even, even the dismantling, I mean, and this is, this is how psychotic it, it gets. Even the dismantling of my false self can be a false self. Um, look at how humble I'm working at. Look at how vulnerable I am. I mean, it's just, it's just so insidious. So, so I think there's a lot that comes with the creation of the false persona. And one of the ways, you know, you've got a false persona, at least, uh, uh, what area that false persona is in is when it gets exposed, when you get back in touch with that shame, uh, for me, and I think for many others, there's just a deep sense of anger at being exposed uh, in the false self. And so um, uh, it's not just creating a false self, but the fourth step is the preoccupation with yourself and, and the reinforcement needed of the false self by others. You have this constant craving for approval, for attention, for adoration, um, and uh, the maintenance of your self-image is kind of how we cope with that ego wound. Now, again, I mean, this could you could be going, man, that's way too psychological. I just call it sin and idolatry. Well, yeah, of course it's that too. But not. But idolatry is a thing that works in different ways in different people. And and so with the idol of self, how does the how do you become, um, you know, certainly at the core, we're we are constantly giving allegiance and adoration and worship to things that don't deserve it. Uh, but but for the narcissist, it's that self that is the the person that is nurtured. But it's not the real self; it's this false self. And and the demand that people prop up that false self is, man, it's exhausting. So the question is, if, if you find yourself false selfing, <laughs> what, what can you do um, uh, to, I don't know, uh, to, to work on it, to, to help define your real self, to, to help find healing? So I'm going to work backwards on that list. There was a four-step progression. I'm going to work backwards uh, on that. Uh, because the fourth step was preoccupation with self and reinforcement of false self by others. And, um, and so, you know, I, I have worked and am working hard to not have to have affirmation um, and to find satisfaction simply in service. Now, and, and that is a whole bunch of religious, you know, that just sounds like more religious cliche. But for me, like when I, when I would teach, I mean, my, literally my first word when I would sit down to my wife is, Hey, how was it? <laughs> and, and, and to not ask that question anymore, um, is a big discipline for me to, to not, it's not that I don't care because I want it to be good. Um, and I, I want God to use it and God to, to, um, not only be blessed by it, but to draw people to himself through it. Absolutely. But there's also a sense in which um, I get, I, I get, um, I don't know, addicted is too strong a word, but I, I get really comfortable hearing that he did those things. And if I don't, I get just real wobbly. Um, and, and to try to train, to wean myself off of, uh, of platform affirmation has been a, been a tough thing. God has been helping me with that by shrinking platforms. Um, absolutely. But there, there's a sense that, um, 
there's a sense that no matter if the platform's 30 or 30,000, the temptation remains the same. So, so there's a, there's a, a deep work that I have to do um, by not f- desiring adulation. And, and um, so, you know, so it's, it's, the, it's as little as a discipline as, you know, not asking, hey, how'd I do? Um, not going fishing for it. Um, I think that is a, that is a really, really big deal, um, for me. So, so, um, the, the other thing is, and the deeper thing for me is how do you dismantle the false persona? And the best way to do that, uh, for me is, uh, to practice two things that Jesus, um, uh, taught and highly encouraged. The first one is this log and spec thing that we're always talking about on the podcast, where Jesus talks about the correcting of others. And he uses an image where uh, if you want to take and address the speck in someone else's eye, right, the speck of dust, deal with the two by four, the plank of wood in your own eye first, then you'll see clearly. And it's, it's the, it's the constant, he's dealing with the constant temptation of to self-righteously judge um, others, but while failing to notice you're guilty of the same thing. So my shorthand for that is that I'm the biggest sinner in the room. And the way I understand that text is that Jesus is graphically illustrating, I'm to see my sin as, as worse than anyone else's sin. And, and, and it, that's true because I don't see into the hearts of other people. I can't see their thoughts, their motives, but I see mine. And the longer I've lived and the more feedback I've gotten from people, um, the, the more I have learned, uh, man, I have some huge blind spots and their blind spots, <laughs> even knowing that they're there, um, isn't enough because, because they're blind, I've either trained myself or been trained not to see them and, um, and or have not woken up to them. And it's very, very easy um, for me to go around, particularly in those blind spots, critiquing other people. And so this idea of being the biggest sinner in the room, I mean, it's literally something I pray. It's something I practice when I walk into situations, um, particularly with, with um, there are certain kinds of sinners, the, particularly the self-righteous ones, because I, I am one, uh, I particularly cannot stand. And, um, and I literally have to sit there and just repeat it to myself. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I'm the biggest sinner in the room. My sin is a log. Their sin is a speck. I have no idea what's going on in their heart. No idea what's going on in their story. I'm not. I'm not knowledgeable or righteous enough to serve as their judge. I simply then, but then I begin to practice the second thing, uh, and that is confession. Now, confession, we either have an overly Catholic idea of confession, where I confess to a priest and I'm absolved, and the priest somehow mediates between me and God, or I have a I have an idea of confession where I just kind of say it to God and say, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Love you. Bye. And I was really challenged on these by a guy named John Coe. Um, C-O-E, works at uh, the Talbot Institute for Spiritual Formation. Um, he talked about, he taught me about confession in, in ways that dismantle the false persona because the confession really has to work before other people, you have to confess to other people and you confess to God. So there are parts of each tradition 
the confession to God and the Catholic confession to other or to the priest or whatever, parts of those traditions are, are absolutely needed. James uh, even says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It might be healed. Now, this is in the context of sickness, but there's a sense in which I think that's there, there's a bigger healing, you know, walking in the light and freedom sort of healing he's talking about there. And, um, and so for me, learning to find safe people where I can be really ugly with, like really ugly, like not, and, and it kills me to do this. It kills me because I'm constantly wondering and worrying about what they're thinking of me as I'm being ugly. So, so when I deal with like the, the, the stuff from others, that first step, the preoccupation of self and its reinforcement by other people, um, I, I try to practice not asking for approval. And I also try to practice looking for feedback. So I will ask my wife and I will ask my kids. So I'll ask my wife, hey, what can I do to be a better husband? Um, how have I disappointed you lately? Uh, for my kids, um, how can I be a better dad? What am I doing that I need to work on? And they incredibly, shockingly, they always have answers, always have answers to those questions. And so, so, um, or, or in teaching, you know, we would always debrief and you'd have people, you know, if you, if you could have just hit it out of the ballpark, but you have people say, Hey, this point wasn't clear at this point. And, and that was good for me. Um, uh, so, so on the one hand, um, demanding reinforcement you know, I've had to stop that and encourage honest feedback uh, at a deeper level, though, I've had to take an active role in dismantling the false self. And I do that through confession, this ancient practice that confess just means to agree with. Um, and so God knows the truth of me. When I confess, I'm just agreeing with the truth of me. And I don't see it clearly always. And so my confessions have grown uh, over the course of years. Another thing John uh, Coe taught me is um, he called it to sit in the weeds. And if you've ever been around him, he uses this expression all the time. And what he means by that is to don't run, don't just run away from your confession and sin. Um, so for me, you know, I used to say, okay, God, I'm sorry I lusted. But Jesus defines lust uh, as adultery of the heart. And so I had to change my confession from, hey, I'm sorry I lusted, uh, to God, um, there's adultery in my heart and we have to address this. I, I see. And, and, and then to sit there and ask the spirit, just like the psalmist does, ask the spirit to test us and search us and, um, and to kind of ferret out the, the deep stuff. And, and, um, you know, part of that for me is, um, uh, I've been in therapy twice and it's been wonderful to have somebody who's very well trained, um, in what narcissists do to reflect back like, Oh, and, and, and again, um, this isn't just true for narcissism. This is true for all sorts of things. But but that confession for me has taken a number of forms. I have people that look out on my web uh, web browser. I have people that I can just be totally unfiltered and raw with. I have people that when I have sinned, um, I've gone to and just said, you know, this was ugly. This is what I did. Please help me walk through this. Um, like sometimes accountability can be code for control. Um, and uh, but I've I've found some really really gracious people who absolutely um, take take this stuff seriously. But at the same time, um, give me room and permission to be 
ugly. Um, so dismantling the false self um, also, so that so in one sense, there's the practice of the, being the biggest sinner in the room and confessing. There's the other other practice of allowing things, not not correcting things that are discongruent with your false self. So <laughs> that's a, that's a whole lot of double negatives. What I mean is. Um, there have been times when I've had a really killer idea and I shared that idea and somebody else shared it and they get credit for it. And what I want to do is I am desperate to point out that it was my idea. I really, I just, I really want people to know this, this was actually my idea and the discipline of refraining from taking credit, um, oh, has been one of the hardest things ever. Um, <laughs> So, so, you know, it's these sorts of small little things. I don't know how it plays for you, but it's these sorts of small little things that, that I'm like, okay, so the false persona doesn't get its hit, but the real persona is learning. I don't have to have the hit uh, to be okay. And um, it's really, really been amazing. The, 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 if, if we're moving from outward to inward, so, you know, maintaining and reinforcing my false self uh, by others is kind of the last step. Uh, but that's the first one we've talked about. Then the creation of the false self, well, we want to dismantle it right? We want to dismantle the false self. We want to stop pretending. And so we do that through confession. We do that through forsaking applause. We do that through um, uh, the, the retraining of our minds and ourselves and therapy. I mean, all sorts of things. Um, but then there's this deep wound. What do we do with this deep wound? And, and for me, I, I personally believe that because we're whole people, um, the wound manifests itself in a load, uh, a load of different ways. And so I do think there is room for talk therapy. I do think there is room for um, very targeted prayer. I, I think there uh, are occasions for spiritual warfare and, and prayer that's slightly different and more targeted towards spiritual warfare stuff. In that, I, I do think kind of the going back and reframing of those, some of those memories is, is super helpful. I think there's a ton of healing that we get um, by going in and grieving those. I, I'm somebody that has never really learned how to grieve and to go back into those, into those things and feel those feelings again is something I run from. Um, so you, you want to begin to see that, 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 that shame and the wound associated with it. Uh, begin to be healed. Uh, and that is a whole bunch of stuff. That is a long time. That's a lot of journaling. That's a lot of praying. That's a lot of, um, you know, um, talking uh, with people and reflecting. I mean, that is, man, that is a lot uh, of hard work. And, and, you know, it may never even, and healing here doesn't mean that the wound never happened. Um, healing here means that God redeems um, and that God uses what was intended for harm, use it for good, not just your good, but for the good of others. Um, and then the first, you know, the, the kind of the big kicker of these things, the damage to your self image that came sometime very early. And to me, that's where the scriptures come in. 
and where the community comes in. Because I I'm firmly am convinced that part of the role of the church, if it's healthy, is to reparent us. Not because our parents were bad, but our parents weren't were, were imperfect themselves, right? I mean, our parents needed parenting themselves. And there's a sense in which in the body, the way Paul talks about the body of Christ, the community of faith, uh, particularly in the second part of Ephesians, I mean, there's just a ton of reparenting that's going on. And, and if you're uncomfortable with all these psychological terms, Paul, I think Paul uses the idea of reparenting. Look in First uh, and Second Thessalonians, he's constantly talking about how he cared for them as a father, how he cared for them as a mother. Um, um, he uses those images to convey his feelings, but he's also looking at that as a motif through which he was ministering. And so I, I actually think that part of the role of the church is, is to reparent us and to help develop a self-image. The self-image that has been hurt in community, because that's the only way it gets hurt, has to be healed in community too. My friend Don Williams always says this, and, and I couldn't agree more. And so uh, here, the role of the scriptures and the role of community are at the forefront to reestablish a self-image based not on the affirmation of others and the ego deprivation and feeding that um, or the shame, but rather uh, a self-image that's based on my identity in Jesus. Now, there, there isn't a greater place in Christian circles where we talk a good game, but none of us really believe it more than in this in this personal space, right? We can talk about how much God loves us. So many of our songs about how he God treasures us and the, so many of our books about how he blesses us. And, and yet none of us feel blessed, treasured or loved. I mean, it's just, you can make so much money, um, by, uh, trying to convince people this is the way to feel loved by God. And, um, it's, it's, for all of our self-esteem, you know, we just don't, most of us just don't buy it. Most of us just aren't at peace with who we are. And so there's got to be a different way. Um, and, and that's when you get into things like spiritual disciplines, the repatterning of yourself. Um, you, you have a part to play in this. One of the, the best lines I've ever heard was from a guy named Richard Foster who opens his book called Celebration of Discipline. But just says, and, and I'm not quoting him perfectly, but but uh, the spiritual disciplines, things like confession, things like community, things like worship, and things like silence and solitude and fasting, and um, those are ways of accessing the grace of God. Um, those are ways in which we open ourselves up to the great, the transforming grace of God. And I want to be, I want to be transformed. That's the promise of the gospel. It's not just that we hold on as sinners to heaven; it's that we grow in Jesus. And so there, there are these, there is this thing called spiritual formation that reforms us, not according to the patterns of this world, but by the transforming uh, and the renewing of our mind. And so there's, there's massive work to be done there. So for those of us who are struggling um, with, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I, I'm constantly thinking about my brand. I'm constantly thinking about my platform, my followers, my likes, my whatever. Uh, there's great news. First of all, you are certainly not alone. Um, and secondly, there's much work to be done. Uh, but but this is something I, I look back and I've grown in. I still have so far to go. I mean, I'm, I'm continually surprised. I shouldn't be at... at at some of the dumb stuff that I will, that will go fleeting, you know, fleetingly through my brain and go, really? Um, and, and I've just learned to bring that before God and say, God, I know this is so dumb. Um, 
and I should learn not to editorialize it, but just to bring it, but I still editorialize. So I'm like, God, this is so dumb, but here's how I feel. And I'm kind of embarrassed I feel this way, but you know that I feel this way already. So let's sit here and I'm going to open my heart up to you and Holy Spirit, um, show me, show me, show me whatever you want to show me. And a lot of times there is nothing that happens. Most of the time there is nothing that happens, but every now and again, There'll be some flash of insight, some, hey, you need to go apologize to this person, some, um, you know, incident brought to mind. And that those things prove very fruitful should you follow those leadings. So anyway, I hope uh, it was a guy named Matt who asked this question. I hope uh, this has been helpful. It's not, you know. Uh, it's from one struggler to another. <laughs> I'm certainly, certainly working on it and um, uh, have a long way to go. But um, learning a lot and, and all this, I mean, I have this huge uh, Word doc, which has been my journal um, and my therapy notes. And I go back to that regularly and uh, because so much of it's just dead on. And so... Um, Anyway, my hope and prayer is that we become a, a much more discerning community where we don't, we don't play into the celebrity pastor thing, either as a celebrity pastor or the whole environment. We just realize how toxic all of that is and how unlike Jesus, all of that is. And it's fine if God gives people platforms. Absolutely. He does. And, and I'm so grateful for those. But um, we just have to be, we have to keep separating. Paul uses an image where he says uh, the gospel, God um, keeps uh, this treasure, God's presence, God himself, the good news of the gospel in jars of clay, which would make a great band name, by the way. Um, in earthen vessels is an older translation. In other words, um, God to show that the all surpassing treasure is from God and not from us. In other words, God is delighted to work in weakness and, and in brokenness to show that it's God doing it, not us. And, um, and so we have to constantly be separating the treasure from the clay to say, you know, um, if God chooses to remind me that I am disposable, uh, there's an ego in me that says, no, 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 but I'm, but I'm, I'm this and I'm that, and I'm really good at this. Um, and God keeps just saying, no, 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 but I'm the treasure, right? You're not the treasure. I can use any jar, right? Yeah. And, and, and your jar isn't particularly that awesome, by the way, but I can use any jar and, and to, to live in that sort of, uh, reality is good individually, but to begin to see people as jars, um, and not in judgment. Remember, we're the biggest sinner in the room, but but rather I'm just taking off the expectation I have to meet the deep needs of my heart for this celebrity pastor, for this big influencer, um, uh, giving people permission to have really bad days and to, and to need Jesus just as much as we do. Uh, I think that's a big deal. So anyway, I hope something in this has been helpful to you, my friends. Um, as always, I'd love your comments and questions and feedback. Um, I'm grateful. Uh, we'll move on to, we've got loads of other topics to discuss, but uh, I'm grateful to have been able to share uh, a little bit about uh, what's going on. And I don't know, um, maybe it's relevance to the, to the American church. So um, to, to whatever degree it's been helpful, I'm grateful. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace in these days. Till next time, my brothers and sisters, thank you so very much. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.